0: Hey Jamie, this week could we watch something, you know, good?
1: Yeah, something with a lot of witty dialogue.
0: And action and intrigue.
1: And adventure and romance.
0: And with a beloved all star cast.
1: And so much kissing. As you wish.
2: Satirists, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the movie podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, here with my intrepid co-hosts.
1: I'm Jack, an American who is uh, from a nation quite underdeveloped in this film, but that's okay. I doubt we existed yet. Wait, are you from Gilder? Huh?
0: (laughs) And I'm Chelsea. Just a poor lost circus performer.
2: That explains all the uh, grease paint.
0: Yeah. It's a daily routine.
2: Yeah. I think it looks good. Yeah. I put
0: my face on.
2: Yes. That makes sense. Now, as opposed to Nicolas Cage, who takes his face off. (laughs) Well, guys, this week. (laughs) We watched
1: 1987's classic
2: fantasy film, The Princess Bride.
1: I thought you were going to say 1987's Class Struggle. (laughs) Oh, we'll get there. Oh, yes. Just wait. But first,
2: this movie was directed by Rob Reiner and stars Carrie Ewells, Robin Wright, Chris Sarandon, Christopher Guest, and a, uh, well, I would be remiss not to mention... Wallace Shawn, Mandy Patinkin, Andre the Giant, Fred Savage, Peter Falk, Billy Crystal, and Carol Kane. Wow, what a cast!
0: I know, so handsome. Oh, around. just
2: handsome from from top to bottom, handsome, handsome, totally
0: handsome. Totally fuckable.
2: <laughs> the, Chelsea's words. Uh-uh. Yes. Overwhelming with charm. I have to admit, yes. I would be terrified to have sex with Andre the Giant. <laughs> I think everyone should should have that same feeling. If you yeah. married him, you could take his last name. The, the Giant? giant. Yes. <laughs> Ooh, that is nice. Yes. Now, um, our listeners may not know this little Andre the Giant fun fact, but Andre the Giant could drink over 100 beers in a night. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. That's insane. I know. He was also pretty tall. He was fairly tall, yes. Um So I'm a huge wrestling fan, so I just had to share that little Andre tidbit.
3: That's
2: Um, nice. Yeah. But yeah, um, let's talk about the movie. Starting with a quick summary.
0: Yeah. Now. We've got this summary, and it's going to happen.
2: Oh, wait. It starts with a framing mechanism.
0: Yes. It starts with a framing mechanism. A little boy is sick. A little white boy is sick.
2: A young Fred Savage. (laughs) Yes. A real Fred Savage type.
0: A middle-class white suburban family. And the grandfather comes over to read the little sick uh, Chode.
3: (laughs) Oh, God. A story.
0: Why why did
2: you give the poor unnamed uh, child the designation of Chode?
3: Because he's a little Chode.
1: Unnamed? (laughs) Fair. Well, his name is grandson. (laughs) Grandson, the nameless Chode. And grandfather, (laughs) played by Peter Falk, TV's Columbo. So charming.
0: All right. So uh, we start out with Buttercup, played by Robin Wright, and Wesley, played by Carrie Ewells, uh, on a farm. (laughs) Swoon. Yes. And they're both super hot, and apparently they were super hot for each other.
2: How could you not
0: be? (laughs) So uh, Wesley, they fall in love. Wesley leaves to make his fortune. And Buttercup somehow receives the news that he died, and it had been about five years since she had seen him.
2: Murdered by the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yep. Arrgh. Fuck.
0: <laughs>
3: oh!
0: In the meantime, she was due to be married to the Prince Humperdinck.
3: Boo!
0: She didn't love him, didn't want to marry him, but apparently he just had the... Ability to choose whoever he wanted to marry.
1: Yeah, he was a prince. Kings be like that. Princes, even.
0: Little did she know that this passivity in going along with this plan was pulling her into a plot, a political intrigue. And so she doesn't realize that she's due to be the catalyst for a war between the nations of Gilder and... Florin. Florin. And so one day when she's riding out taking her daily ride on a horse, she meets three characters who claim to be nothing more than poor lost circus performers.
2: And boy are they characters. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. That's that that's what you said. <laughs> oh no. Jack, this is a plot to start a war between our nation and Gilder.
1: Ah, uh, why'd you mention Gilder? Run away. I'm not a spy.
0: Uh-huh. Aha. <laughs> So those uh, characters are Vizini, Inigo, and Fezic.
2: Oh, sweet, sweet physic
0: So um, they end up abducting Buttercup, who's the princess by this point.
2: Non-consensually abducting.
0: That's right, and um, they take her to the la- across the sea to the land of Gilder, who's uh, kind of at war with Florin or enemies of Florin, and they're going to. Uh we find out that they were hired by Prince Humperdinck to kill her there and make it look like assassins from Gilder killed her so that Prince Humperdinck would have an excuse to go to war.
1: Yes. Solid plan. <clears> yeah, they put a, a Gilder, uh, what is it, family crest or national crest a on piece her of a horse. Piece of a flag? Yes, and it's then sent it running oh. off. Yeah. Crest. So that to the Florins, it would look like a Gilder... Horse was left behind. Florinians, please. Florinians, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Florinites. Florinites? That makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Gilder is full of fun places, like the Cliffs of Insanity.
0: Yeah. Was that
1: in Gilder? I was confused
2: about the geography. It's on the coast
0: of Gilder. The political intrigue. Prince Humperdinck comes with uh, his friend, Count Rugen, uh, with a... Troop of soldiers to try to track down the princess, uh, to just make a show of trying to recover her.
2: You know, Prince, uh, I'm sorry, Count Rugen really reminded me of the um, that guitar player from that band Spinal Tap.
0: Yeah, weird coincidence. Yeah, really weird strange. Weird yeah, uh, so before we see them though, we see a man in black who's following them and dogging their steps. The three men who uh abducted Buttercup. And, With a
2: face covering and a roguish mustache. Yes. I'm sorry. A roguish mustache.
0: And uh, in three different trials, he bests each one of them and recovers a buttercup. They have a tiff. And then through speaking the iconic line, as you wish, when as she pushes him down a hill, um, it she realizes that... It's her, Wesley. He never died. And she tosses herself down after him. Gracefully. <laughs> so, without being without realizing it, uh, she, her love had come back to her and was rescuing her from certain death.
1: But
2: not before testing her. That's questioning, true. Questioning
1: her loyalty <clears throat> and her love. Yes. Loyalties. He was offended. That she so quickly agreed to marry Prince Humperdinck.
0: So quickly. After five years.
1: Yes. yes. Practically overnight. Yes, but they have true love, something they talk about. Yes. And uh, he thinks that, you know, five years is too fast when true love is at stake. You I know? guess so. Well, I a mean, factor. even death cannot stop true love. It's true. That's said. More so on that in the theme section. They
0: make reader. it through the uh, fire swamp with the R.O.U.S.'s. The and rodents
1: of unusual size?
2: I don't believe in them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and the spurts of fire and pits of quicksand. And unfortunately, on the other side, Prince Humperdinck and Count Rugen are waiting there with their soldiers. And Buttercup agrees to go with them if they'll let Wesley live. So she trusts that they are going to let him go, but they capture him hook him up to some crazy machine...
2: That sucks life out of you.
0: ...and ends up... Which ends up killing him and... Mostly. I mean, they pulled...
2: They pulled 50 years off of his life and life expectancy in the Middle Ages was not long. So, it kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah. So, at this point, Inigo and Fezzik are looking for him even though they were adversaries before. Uh, Inigo (laughs) is searching for the man... Six-fingered man who killed his father And he thinks the man in black Is the right person to help him s- Strategize how to Get into the castle because he figures out That the six-fingered man Is um, working for Prince Humperdinck and he's most likely in his castle So Wesley is Screaming as he's dying They hear him throughout the entire <laughs> land <laughs>
2: And, in, and the ego inherently knows that It's Wesley Yes,
0: And they go and figure out where he's being hidden in a secret lair, and they take him to Miracle Max to revive him.
2: Oh my god, this scene is amazing. It is one of the greatest pieces of cinema ever recorded the celluloid.
0: Yes. And uh, that's where Billy Crystal is playing Miracle Max, and um, who's the woman playing ba- his Carol wife? Carol Kane. Carol Kane is playing Valerie. his wife, Valerie. And they cr- make a great bickering older couple. <sighs> it's amazing. Modeled and-
2: after Billy Crystal's grandparents.
0: Yes. And they make a miracle pill to bring him back to life.
1: With a little chocolate coating. and Makes it go down <gasps> easier.
0: Yeah. Inigo and Fezzik give it to him. It kind of brings Wesley back from the dead. Slowly. Slowly. He's he's weak at first. They have to carry him around. And the other two, Inigo and Fezzik, come up with a plan to get past the castle gates with that has 60 guards in front of it. And um, they're, they get past there. They fight their way... Wit. With a holocaust cloak. With a holocaust cloak, some fire, and a, some not-so-mild threats. And, um, they fight their way through other guards throughout the castle, and Inigo comes face-to-face with Count Rugen, who's the six-fingered man.
2: Who bravely <sighs> runs away.
0: Yes. Inigo runs after him with some help from Fezzik. He chases him down. They have an epic battle scene, and then Buttercup finds Wesley in a room where he's been hiding out. They reunite, and he, pa- uh, <laughs> Passes a hard uh, intimidate check on Prince Humperdinck when he finds them in there together.
2: There's a multi-tiered intimidate bluff check. Yeah, like and a, a skill challenge. They as it end were. up.
0: He ends up intimidating him into a chair. They tie him up and they escape with Fezzik's help because he found a bunch of horses. And then they have a amazing true love kiss at the end.
2: The and and this is the time that I mean we we've skipped the framing mechanism, but throughout the film. Every time there's a kiss uh, that the grandfather is reading out of the story, uh, the the grandson is acting like ew, gross, kissing is gross, yuck. And there's the one time when he's like, no, it's okay, which is uh, kind of weird. But I mean, this is the whole the grandfather reading the story to the kid is a little inappropriate. But whatever, makes for a great film. Yeah,
0: I I kind of I so we're done with the summary now, and we should go into the book. Ah, uh,
2: then it's that means it's time. For the bulk of the podcast, here's where we talk about the themes, the scenes, the making of, our critiques, and anything else we want to talk about regarding the film we watched this week, which is, once again, The Princess Bride. Rated PG,
0: probably? I don't know. We never care about that kind of thing. (laughs) Well, fuck. So, yeah, I wanted to talk some more about the framing device. So, yeah, they were a middle-class white suburban family. So I was wondering if it was, like, the type of family that the producers assumed might be watching a movie like this?
2: With an awesome Peter Falk-type grandfather?
0: I mean, it's a stereotype, of course, but maybe they thought, like, middle-class white families, suburban families would be the ones interested in going to see a fantasy movie?
2: I think that that was assumed to be the people who everything was marketed to i mean at the time well into today if
1: you believe that the middle class still exists i mean (laughs) it seemed like kind of maybe that was what they assumed would not be their audience because the kid who is definitely a consumer and just kind of goes along with yeah you know what his age group
2: is his room is full (laughs) of awesome toys like a Judge Dredd t-shirt. A Captain America figure. Yeah, beast. I saw, like, a Beastman or something. Yeah, yeah. From, so, from
1: He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. This kid is into pop culture, right? And this fantasy book is something that his grandpa says that his dad read to him when he was sick.
3: That's so right. So it's
1: old, and it doesn't seem... And it's a physical book, and the kid is right. playing video games,
2: yeah. right? I mean, the kid starts off playing, I think, ColecoVision or something? I mean... This kid's living the life. He's sick from school, maybe. Maybe. He doesn't, doesn't seem, seem that
0: sick to me.
1: Nah, but you know, yeah, he's pretty maybe against Commodore 64, maybe. But he's pretty against listening to this book and his grandpa kind of convinces him to listen and only by the end is he really
2: Hey,
3: shut up, into kid. It.
1: And a few times he gets convinced to keep listening. But, uh, yeah, it seemed like he had to be kind of... Coaxed? Yeah, coaxed, thrown into the plot before he could get into it. So, maybe because he's from that average American suburban family, he's expected not to be open to fantasy... Or things that are just kind of out of the ordinary. Do you
0: think it was like the director and the writers who came up with this to try to convince people to keep watching? Yeah!
1: (laughs) I don't know. This movie had been in
2: development hell for over 12 years.
0: Yeah. Really? Really?
2: Yeah,
1: Yeah, I was kind of, well, to compare it to a few other 80s movies, like The NeverEnding Story and Labyrinth, in both of the films I just mentioned, uh, the kind of takeaway, the theme of it is, like, kind of enjoy your imagination and embrace the fantasy, right? Yeah. NeverEnding Story, he goes to school all the time, he's bullied, his life is kind of sucky. So he's the audience. Yes, and then in the end, his imagination turns him into a god right yeah. <clears throat> and in Labyrinth the main character hates her little stepbrother and she doesn't like being an angsty teenager and by the end no she, she likes realizes, being an
2: angsty, angsty teenager right
1: oh it's she... a mixed blessing <laughs> you know <laughs> she and doesn't want to you know, be having she doesn't want to have responsibility voice in a bonner. right And at the end, she has the willpower to turn down sexual advances by David Bowie. (laughs) And ascends to, uh, you know... Well, she doesn't ascend to godhood, but, you know, she gets her friends whenever she wants them. Yeah. You know?
2: She gets her cake, and she can also eat it.
1: Yeah. And I think this movie kind of does a similar thing where this kid was, you know, he was kind of shitty to his grandpa... At the beginning. Hey, get out of here,
2: old man. Yeah, and he Shut up, kid.
1: He wasn't really open to trying this kind of fantastical story. Yeah. No, he was playing baseball on his video game console. Yeah, but then he opened up to it and by the end he was kind of into it and he learned a few lessons yeah. along the way.
0: Yeah, by the end he asked his grandfather to return the next day and read it again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The book was uh, published in 1973, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so it was out for a couple years, and then they decided to try to make a movie. And like Jamie said, like, it took them 12 years.
2: And the author, William Goldman, wrote the screenplay, too. Yeah. Which is pretty rare, I'd say, with a lot of uh, book-to-film.
0: It has happened, and even in some of the other movies that we have watched. For the sure original author
2: wrote the... Screenplay. Screenplay, huh? Oh, yeah.
0: But it is rare, for sure. I think it happens in fantasy. I mean, like,
2: Tolkien yeah. didn't write the screenplay for Lord of the Rings.
0: No. <laughs> sadly, he was not around for that.
1: Oh, wh- where is he? Is he out of town?
0: You could say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: he's, uh, he's at the farm upstate. Oh! Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Oh, with my puppy. <laughs> yes. You're right.
0: Um... So watching it through again, um, I thought it was really interesting. I'm going to another point now.
1: Yes. Um, point
0: two. I thought it was kind this of a, a retelling of Arthurian legend. I know it's. Um, oh more of a, it's more of a you know later medieval, maybe Renaissance style fantasy, um, and it's satirical, like the book. Yes. But um, I actually realized that. And there's swords it's, in it. <laughs> Holy... Kind of uh, harkens back to Arthurian legend in the way that there's honor between warriors, especially, you know, in combat. Yeah,
2: I mean, particular Wesley and Inigo. And, yeah. And, and Wesley and Fezzik, to some extent.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: I mean, Fezzik would hate for somebody to die embarrassed. Yes. (laughs) That's a form of honor.
0: Yeah, so Inigo is a swordsman, and so is Wesley from his time on the pirate ship. Yep. Yes. And, um, yeah, we didn't say in the summary, but we find out through him retelling his backstory that he was actually trained on this pirate ship in mm-hmm. fencing and sailing and other things. By a pirate Guiled. who told him
2: every day that he was going to eat him the next day, probably. Yeah, huh. so maybe
0: he was a troll? We don't know. Um,
2: yes. <laughs> maybe more in the modern sense.
0: But yeah, there was... Since
2: these were empty threats that never went anywhere. There was
0: many of the characters had a sense of honor and they knew when they were would be breaching that honor like mm-hmm. Fezzik did when he didn't want to hide and wait uh, and then just yeet Wesley when he cam- comes around the corner. He said, my my way's not very sportsmanlike." Yeah, Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fezzik's kind of shook by uh, the implication that Vizzini says that he's not an honorable fighter. He's like, but I, I want to be. He seems very put off by the idea of not having on
1: yes when wesley turns a corner a boulder shatters in front of him yeah and Frederick's like i could have hit you yeah i missed i didn't have to yeah, yeah i did it on and birth. wesley's like i believe you yeah <laughs> it's a good time
0: but before that he fought inigo uh after he climbed up the cliffs of insanity and yeah they have a sword fight <sighs> together hot and um
2: hot saber on yeah, saber it's action pretty
0: awesome they're actually doing a lot of the sword fighting themselves and
2: everything except for the, the everything except for the um the acrobatic flip they they did themselves trained for like basically every waking hour that they were on set and they weren't on camera they were training for this
0: so they have... So Inigo waits for him honorably to get himself all situated before they start having their duel. Yeah. And um, they have some witty banter between them.
1: They introduce themselves. Backstory. Mm. He even yeah. hands Wesley his blade to investigate so he's unarmed.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, that was... That was truly like re, definitely reminded me of like you know the chivalrous codes of honor. Like you exactly. could hand you could hand a foe your weapon and expect to have it returned to you before a fight.
0: That's yeah. that's the the scene that really started me on this whole Arthurian uh, shtick. You know, I, yes. I, I I was thinking about it after he handed him the sword. I was you like, see? wow, what? Yeah, <laughs> it was interesting. Um. Yeah, so... Yeah, also. also, there's uh, Forbidden Love. Uh, yes. It kind of goes along it's with true. Which, which love is forbidden? Well, Buttercup and Wesley, actually, because she is the fiancé of Prince Humperdinck. But so not so at the time that they
2: of, fall in love.
0: Not when they fall in love, but uh, later when he returns. Right. And um, it kind of reminded me a little bit of... Uh, like, a, just a kind of a retelling of... Guinevere and Lancelot or um what are the two Tristan and Isolde okay. uh, before them
3: yeah I
2: can see that maybe a little bit more yeah just because I mean there's no like I mean with the Lancelot story betrayal was very I, I feel like often a very important element and I guess it's I guess it's gonna kind of reverse where Wesley feels like Buttercup has betrayed him but you know she's
0: the betrayal is a major and, theme in this movie actually
2: yes oh I know absolutely but I just mean, uh, like, who carries it out in the the um, in the romantic entanglement feels more Tristan and Assault than it does, uh, Lancelot and Arthur, I mm-hmm. guess, or um, yeah, uh, Lancelot and and Guinevere. Mm-hmm. And
0: actually, Prince Humperdinck is betraying Buttercup.
2: Yes. Too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The people who are um, duplicitous in this movie are cunning, and the the cunning characters are often cast in a bad light. Wesley is. Noted for being cunning, but he's you know the only kind of thinker that um, survives is portrayed well. Yes. Yeah, yeah,
0: and he <clears throat> he's very snarky too.
2: Well, yeah, I mean endearingly so. Yeah, but yes. like I mean Humperdinck, and there's I I almost wish they did a little bit more of this. We see he's like this tremendous investigator who can tell like minute details about who, what was going on at a scene. Just by like sniffing dirt and like touching the ground and like looking at at footprints, he's able to tell that like a Spaniard sword fought on the cliffs of insanity, and a giant was knocked unconscious in the in the area where Fezzik fought, and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah, he's, he's almost he's like this amazing deductive. like yeah uh, deductive uh, investigator. It's pretty pretty cool actually.
0: He's an expert tracker.
2: Yeah. Yes. So I'm thinking Ranger.
1: Oh, more on that to come. But, uh, yeah, Betrayal... Or
2: Investigator Rogue. Yeah, that's Maybe more right. fitting.
1: Yeah, Prince Humperdinck plays for Buttercup. Yes, this is part of the betrayal. He was the one who hired the three men to kidnap Buttercup yeah. and have her killed. Because he wanted the war with Gilder, yes, as we mentioned. So there's a betrayal there. Mm-hmm. One of the major points in the film. Right. And then Wesley thought he had been betrayed when she was going off to marry Prince Humperdinck.
2: Yeah. Now, related to the betrayal theme, I mean, this is not exactly groundbreaking, but revenge is also a big theme. I mean... whoa! <laughs> uh, I know. Inigo, especially, is kind of the, the most, like, overtly obvious really? example of this. Yeah, you think, right? <laughs> Crazy, yeah. right? Like, No, I mean, he's got this whole elaborate um, speech that, I mean, I think everyone probably knows. You know, my name is Inigo Montoya, and et cetera. Um,
1: Wait, what was that quote?
0: <laughs> you killed my father. Prepare to die.
1: That- oh, yeah, that's what it is. Stop
0: saying that. Yeah. <laughs> he keeps repeating it over and over in the scene at the end when they're in the <laughs> castle and he's chasing after yeah. count Rugen,
2: and he's been got many times by rugin
0: so point. when he was a boy he fought a duel against count Rugen. he didn't know who he was he had just killed his father who was a master swordsmith and um he lost to him but instead of killing him count Rugen scarred both of his cheeks yeah And um, in his final fight against him, Count Rugen seems to be winning at first, and he hurts him in each of his... He pierces each of his shoulders, and then in the gut. Yes. And... um, It's
2: a very Christ-like series of wounds.
0: Kind of, yeah. There's a a
2: crucifixion... uh, I I feel like there's a crucifixion allegory. I mean, maybe a little bit. Maybe not. I don't know. I guess shoulders as stand-ins for the hands and then the piercing of the of the side of the stomach like the spear of destiny. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm reading
1: too much. I into guess that. it is like a travel sized version of the wounds of Christ. <laughs> uh
0: it might be a little bit of a stretch.
1: Now, I don't know if this I don't know if the the
2: scar on the cheek from a uh from a saber or a rapier is a actual historical thing, but in the Pathfinder uh role playing game, there's a um country called Ustalav and in one of the cities of Ustalav there's a fencing school and getting a scar on your cheek like that is considered, uh, in in the setting is considered uh, like a a badge of honor for sword fighters so I thought that was cool, I thought about that while we were were watching the film
0: that's interesting, and so I just wanted to finish talking about their final duel Um, so he meets him again after hunting for him for 20 years he finally catches up to him And he he, almost seemed like he's going to fail after that blow to to his abdomen. (gasps) That's
3: the saddest Um, thing I've ever heard. But then the adrenaline
0: kicks in, and um, he starts repeating his name and his mission to Count Rugen.
1: What is it again?
0: (laughs) Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Oh, Oh,
1: that reminds me when he said, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die.
2: <laughs> Wait, you mean hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepare to die? Stop saying that <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Mandy Patinkin at his height of amazing uh, just scenery chewing
1: delivery. Yes.
0: So <laughs> um he at first he keeps repeating it. It's almost like to psych himself up and to get to get his adrenaline pumping into mantra. Yeah. To kind of nice. fuel himself mentally, to gain that mental resolve, he needs to push through the wounds, and to fight. And he seems to get his resolve back, and he starts actually fighting back against Count Rugen. And uh, he actually is a better swordsman. We oh yeah, even wounded, even
2: yeah, with like horrific wounds to the shoulders and
1: stomach. He got knifed in the stomach at the start of the fight. Yeah, yes, and we learned earlier in the film he's learned. Multiple different fencing and oh, sword yeah. fighting techniques. Inigo is a master of the martial it's arts. true. All In his be- duel with Wesley.
2: All
0: because he wanted to get revenge. Yeah. And so. And
2: Rugen's a fucker. He's not like a great sword fighter or anything.
0: No, he's more of a spy and a torturer.
3: And how do you
2: how do you think he killed Anigo's father? Was it was it like a backstab scenario, or I mean, I, I would it think was
0: the equivalent of a sucker punch.
2: Or I mean, I guess it's possible that I mean, his father was a master swords crafter. Maybe he never had time to really learn the art that much of fighting. It's he so- was
0: unarmed. He was just kind of sitting there trying to do a transaction with Count Rugen, and then Count Rugen just fucking ran him through that's, that's
1: true dishonor right there yeah. attacking an unarmed combatant but then yeah. he never took the sword and i guess i took it to duel him yeah to but, duel but rugen, rugen beat and yeah i hmm.
2: guess he just Inigo wanted to inflict
0: it. pain he didn't really care about the sword i have a
2: lot of questions but
0: yeah um so as they're fighting Inigo actually gets the better of him and starts inflicting wounds upon him Which is this was a really neat part of the scene where he has sustains wounds himself. So first he pierces, he mirrors mirrors all of his own wounds. He pierces him in the shoulders, and then when he stumbled back and he's trying to bribe Inigo for his life,
2: but Inigo's telling him to bribe him, which is like, oh, it's it's just it's brutal. Yeah, it's ruthless.
0: It's a great part of the scene. I
2: want my father back, you son of a bitch. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So he he, when he's telling him to bribe him and and beg for his life, he's slashing him across the cheeks.
2: I'm getting a little misty over here thinking about it. Yeah, that's a good scene.
0: And then
3: he gross Count
0: (laughs) Rugen's like, "I'll give you anything you want." And that's when he pierces him through the gut and says what you said. Yes. I want my father back, you son of a bitch. Oh,
2: so good. I, I love this movie so much. Yep. It's <laughs> Sorry. <really great. laughs> I'm jumping into my review, but no. oh, it's so good. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I wanted to take a moment just to talk about pretty much, I think, the biggest theme in the film. Which we've already touched upon in a few different ways.
2: M.O.T. sandwiches. Oh yeah, you want to explain that real quick? <laughs> the mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. Ah, Where yes. the mutton is nice and lean.
1: Oh, there's nothing
2: like it.
0: Tomato is nice and the ripe.
1: Tomato's ripe. Yeah. What is it? The most important thing in the world?
0: <laughs>
3: yeah. It is. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. No, but the the I think most uh, apparent theme, uh, the strength of love.
0: Oh, right. Oh yeah. True yeah yeah.
1: love. True love
2: I'm glad
0: you brought this up I wanted to talk about this Yes We
2: do need to talk about love And marriage Marriage It's
0: what brings us together today Yes
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah Get on with it Yeah it's true But uh True love True love Yes It Yeah They fall in love And when he goes away And she hears that he's been killed By the dread pirate Roberts She sheds that one or two tears and says, I'll never love again, right? Right. Yes. Yes. And
0: it's like she says she died. Yes. She died that day.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so she doesn't care. She's marrying Prince Humperdinck, even though she doesn't love him. She doesn't really care what she's doing. Yeah. She's empty. Yeah. And she's going to be killed off. And. You know, she she's kind of not at a point where she's looking forward to anything in her life, I suppose. Yeah.
2: No, she the, the character, we don't get a lot of motivation
1: for her after this point. Yes, it's true. And uh, when she is being taken and Wesley is pursuing her, she isn't struggling a lot to get away, as much as probably a lot of people would. And it's only after Wesley... Who is, at the time, disguised as the Dread Pirate Roberts, keeps testing her and being like, Ah, you're unfaithful! You didn't really love that, farm boy. And she gets really pissed. And it's like the most emotional she's been so far since the beginning of the film. And she's like, Hey, you don't know what you're talking about. You can say whatever you want, but don't talk about Wesley, you know? Our love is true. And he was like, Oh, yeah? And then, yeah, she like pushes him down the hill. He says, as you wish, you know, as we said, she throws herself down. She, like, falls for him. Her right? fire has yeah. been reignited. That's yeah, good. she yeah. fell for him.
3: Yeah, that's oh, good. Oh, yo! Good. That's good, thanks, Jack. thanks. <laughs> and,
1: uh, yeah, that's pretty good. And then, like we said, Wesley is killed by the torture machine, mostly, but then <laughs> True Love. Mostly, dead. mostly dead. Yeah. And Yego hears life. his screaming, and he says, Oh, that's the man in black, and Andre the Giant Fezzik is like Andre the Fezic. Yeah, how do you know? And he's like, ah, because that is the scream of a man whose heart is being broken, right? And that is the
0: sound of true suffering.
1: Yes, exactly. I made that sound when my dad was killed, and his true love is about to be married off. So, of course, he's screaming like yeah. that. And, and Ego knows these things. Yes. And he's correct. It is Wesley. Yeah. And earlier in the movie, Wesley
2: literally says that death cannot stop true love and then is able to come back Yes, because wow. of true and love. And
1: they convince yeah. the doctor, the Miracle yeah. Max. Max, and his wife, to Valerie. Valerie, to bring him back because of the true love yeah, thing. Yeah,
0: true. And
1: then he comes back. And then you know he does, he saves her and it's all.
2: Valerie insists looks. once she once she knows what's going on. Miracle yeah. Max is kind of jaded she, at this point. She
0: kind of badgers him into doing it. Yes. Oh, but oh. he finally is convinced when he hears that if Wesley gets together with Buttercup, it'll uh it'll thwart the plans of Prince Humperdinck, whom he hates. That's
2: back
1: to that revenge thing. Yes. We were talking and so about. love and revenge are tied very closely. Yes. Deeply. And um. I think it's important to note that when she is talking to Prince Humperdinck, she says, "If Wesley dies, I'll kill myself." Yeah, that was
0: yeah. that was a, that was a lot. That yeah, a lot. she just was so nonchalantly talking about killing herself after she if she was forced to marry Prince Humperdinck, she would. With just kind of saying, expect me to be dead before you come to the honeymoon suite.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, female gender roles are not portrayed super well in this
0: movie. That's true, and I want to get to that. But first, I want to finish our theme talk of the the love thing. Yes. So, Is it misogyny
1: um, a theme? Eventually.
0: Um, so, we basically have gone over all of the evidence that I wanted to talk about. Uh, so I'm glad that we're on the same page. hmm uh, to say that true love seems to be kind of like its own mystical force in this story. Yes. It has the power to bring people back from the dead and to withstand the tests of time and evil and revenge. The, yes.
2: And pettiness. Because there's bring, a lot of pettiness in To bring in people the movie.
0: together as friends mm-hmm. and yes, to yeah, yeah, bring down evil men. Yeah. Love is the most powerful force.
1: Saves the day. Yeah. In every way. I yeah. like
0: it. Yeah. I love that part of the movie. Yeah, that was great. You
1: do
2: you truly love that part of the movie? <laughs>
0: yeah, that's basically <laughs> how I feel. Uh, reality works, and most people just need to believe that. Yes. Wow.
1: True <laughs> love. Yes.
0: But um. So Madded. yes, that is another one of my notes, Jamie. That. Uh how passive Buttercup is throughout the whole movie yeah the, which the, I don't
2: like. I two think... of the most like fleshed out women in this movie, one is very passive and one is while she while Valerie is right, she's portrayed as like a nagging harpy.
0: Yeah.
2: But she's yeah. right. Yeah, she is. She is and she knows better. She she is the heart of, of her relationship with Miracle Max. She's a noble nagging harpy, though. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not a great portrayal. No. But Carol Kane, top tier. Yes. She's
0: put into that role as the nagging harpy based on the way her husband tries to react yes. to the way oh, she's That's acting.
2: right. Yes. right. Yeah, yeah, That's what I mean. She like, tries she's to frame that up, way.
0: He, she tries to bro it up with Inigo and Fezzik. I mean, Miracle Max tries yeah. to like be all broy with them, like, "Haha, isn't she such a bitch?"
3: Ah! <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: But <laughs> and, then at the end,
2: they kind of have like a. I mean, I don't know if it's a sweet moment or a touching moment, but like, I really. I mean, obviously, like I mean, the Max and Valerie scene is like my favorite scene in the movie. But yeah. when when Anigo and Fezic and Wesley are leaving, they have this kind of cute little couples moment where mm-hmm. it's like, "Do you think they'll make it? It would take a miracle." <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: They're a lot in of that, sync.
0: A lot of that whole segment seemed um, like it was improv, and it was, oh. it was great. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
2: I, I, from what I read, uh, Rob Reiner said that they had, like, Rob Reiner had to leave the set while Billy Crystal was improv-ing because he could not stop busting up. <laughs> I'm like, that's amazing. <laughs> that's really <laughs> right. great. That's I love great. that. Um, oh. But,
0: yeah, Buttercup is very passive most of the time. I yeah. mean, she does have her outburst, though, and the reason she is so passive is because she's deeply depressed and doesn't care. That's fair. She just still has that survival instinct, I guess, and isn't moved to actually kill herself unless under duress.
2: Right. No, that, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting portrayal of depression. I don't because know if they were actually trying to do that, but it is a somewhat believable, like, portrayal of ennui.
0: Because... She does, when she learns that she might be killed by her abductors in the beginning, she does try to escape.
1: Yeah, she has
2: a
0: survival
1: yeah. instinct. She
2: absolutely.
0: tries
1: to swim away, but the shrieking eels scare her back. Mm-hmm. But the thought of losing,
2: I mean, I think that there could be a, like a, a triggering event of like, she loses her true love, it's devastating, she has the hope of having him back, and then he's ripped away from her again, you see, and then now at that, that point, yeah. she's kind of like lost all hope.
0: Yeah, now that we're talking about it, I don't know if she's passive, or if she's just at the whim of all the men who have all the power in the situation. Because at another point, Historically accurate, unfortunately, Jack was talking about, um, when she was arguing with the masked man, who she didn't know was Wesley... At the top of that hill, and he pisses her off. She pushes him down the hill. True.
3: <laughs> yeah, because he. And she uh, could have gotten away, her.
0: but she yeah. then she finds out who he is. <laughs> Although yeah. Rugen,
2: I mean uh, Rugen and and uh, Humperdinck probably would have caught her. I mean they were like right on the trail. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. didn't they roll up? And by roll up, I mean horse up, right as uh, they were like down at the bottom of the hill. Yes. yes.
0: Well, that's because they knew where to go.
2: Right. But they I mean I'm saying they were like already there they were like yes. on top of them at that point
0: yeah because they were on foot and then the prince and the count were on horseback' it's so. true
2: now there is one female character who is portrayed fairly strongly but she is a dream figment of buttercup's imagination and it is uh, the peasant woman who is booing buttercup mercilessly yeah. for uh, giving up on her true love and this is another moment that I love <laughs> boo boo
1: Bow to her, bow down.
3: <laughs>
2: this this peasant woman is great. I I love this scene.
0: Bow to the queen of slime, the queen of refuse. Oh, uh, it's so good. The queen of putrescence. True love lives, and yet she marries another.
2: Oh, uh, that was great. That's one of my fa- that that dream uh, heckler is one of my favorite characters in the movie. Yeah.
1: <laughs> such an unforgettable scene if you haven't seen this movie what is wrong with you do it and if if you're not gonna because, no even if you've
2: seen this movie go watch it again
1: I don't care if you watched
2: it. it this morning
1: it's true and you know just look up that scene on YouTube. If nothing no, else, wait, whoa, 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 whoa! Watch the entire film just for that scene. Go buy
2: the movie legally, or get your pre-owned legal copy and buy watch it a that new way. version, or buy a new one and then watch. Yeah, yeah, but do it legally because on this podcast we promote only legal practices. It's true.
1: I'm going to bring up the landowning sure. thing again as a segment for you to talk about class struggle now. Hey, remember been... where she was a landowner and had a a slave, I mean, a farm boy? Yeah. So, guys,
2: this movie is definitely about class struggle.
1: Oh, that segues from
2: what I was just talking about. <laughs> it, it does. <laughs> now, here's the thing. We start the movie... Now, when we get into the, the narrative section of the movie, we start with these two... You know, peasant class people. You know, obviously Buttercup's slightly higher on the yes. on the um, hierarchy than Wesley is, but they're they're still both kind of living in in rougher farm life. Yes. Um, and then there's uh, so the film perpetuates this myth of the wealthy uh, benefactor. Rising the, you know, choosing the poor to rise up. You know he, you know he, and and not gives this big elaborate speech. It's kind of like saying like, oh, she's beautiful, she's valuable because of her appearance. I, you know, I'm I'm choosing, I'm bestowing this gift upon her, and it re- reinforces this narrative that all you need is just like one opportunity and a lot of gumption and bootstraps to rise up above. But you know. Meanwhile, people like Wesley go off into the world, learn skills, in this case, piracy, for Wesley, and sword fighting. You know, piracy and the pirating, piratical trades of sword fighting and plundering and um, uh, drinking grog, I guess. He was probably pretty good at drinking grog. Um, And he's able to kind of become a self-made man. Drinking poison, yeah. Yeah, Iacane powder, that's true. Um, and, you know, ambitious people like Vizzini are kind of portrayed in um, kind of a negative light. Uh, I mean, the aristocracy, I suppose, is portrayed not super well. But, like, uh, Humperdinck's parents seem pretty cool. I mean, they're, they're, like, the old king is a nice, if kind of bumbling, idiot type. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They're Buttercup kind of
2: mentions like, his kindness. Yeah. yeah. She kissed me. <laughs>
0: i kind of just, like, out of the way and just there most of the time. And don't really seem to be doing anything to stop their conniving son. Right? Yes. Uh, but they're nice enough on their own, but they're also kind of... That goes into something I wanted to talk about. Uh, oh, wait, the, hold on. the type of evil in this movie.
2: Oh, yes, we should definitely talk about that. But hold on, I have a few more okay. uh, pieces of evidence to present to the to the tribunal here about uh, the class struggle. Class struggle.
0: Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Okay.
2: Uh, Vizzini insults Fezzik, saying that he was unemployed in Greenland before he got there.
1: Unemployed in
3: Greenland! <laughs> yeah.
1: That's how he talks. Just for the audience. I'm not shouting in your ear for fun. <laughs> well, I am. He's just
0: always <laughs> shouting.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Vizini has a very, uh, high-stress uh, type of... Uh, Interaction,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and then the Wesley gives a subtle dig at uh, like the cultured people. You know, now that he's been out on the high seas, he's seen a different life. He's he's lived in poverty, and then he's lived in this kind of very different. I mean, you know, and, and as we all know, pirate ships were very democratic social structures. They had to be. I mean, yeah. you you have a, a strong captain obviously who but that's somebody who the crew has to respect and has yeah. to get along with. You know, violent measures don't necessarily work super well as a motivator because there's, you know, in, in a pirating situation, there's always more of the crew than there are of the of the commanding officers. So, you know, mutiny was always a, a concern. So, pirate ships were actually very democratic. So, Wesley gives this great dig at Inigo where he says, um, Oh, so we'll try to kill each other like civilized people?
3: <laughs> yes. Nice. That one
2: stood out to me a lot. So yes. I, I think there's definitely a lot of great class struggle and um, related themes in this movie. You can really dig into like I just did. Yes. Yeah. Do what you want because the pirate is free. Exactly. You are a pirate. And I won't do what you told me.
0: And mixed in with that class struggle is a certain brand of evil, which I thought Uh, was very uh, uh, interesting. uh, 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 uh. (laughs) The
2: evil of the upper classes?
0: (laughs) Yes, and it was a very soft-spoken, practical kind of evil.
2: Okay, well, now that you've provided a perfect segue, now it's time for Evil, Stupid, or Misunderstood. This is the part of the show where we talk about the antagonists of the film and determine if they're evil, stupid, or misunderstood.
0: So yeah, just to recap, I was saying that the evil in this movie, exhibited by the upper classes mainly, is a soft-spoken, practical brand of evil. Both Prince Humperdinck and Count Rugen are constantly plotting and talking about other people's pain in a very nonchalant manner. And they're very practical about starting a war and all the steps they have to take. They have no empathy for others. and It's very
2: political to them.
0: It's very matter-of-fact, all of the actions they take. And they don't really seem to bring moral or ethical concerns into their thought processes at all. Um, they're cold,
2: calculating, logical, modern men.
0: It's actually worse because it's so for them, it's like part of life, right? In their opinion, and um, it I, I saw it as a very comfortable form of, of an abuse of power, yeah. yes, uh, just torturing people, planning assassinations, and
2: which is something totally made up and
1: only in the realm of fiction, right?
0: Oh, sure, yeah, yeah okay,
1: Good. yeah, it used to Woo! be practiced, but it's up at the farm now. Oh, okay, yeah,
0: yeah. and Woo! so. When you were talking about class struggle Jamie it reminded me of um, the parents and their inaction could be seen as a passive form of evil because mm-hmm. they they would they're around their son all the time they would yeah. clearly know how evil he is and they do nothing about it.
2: Right. Now so, you could argue that, that they're too <laughs> old to I mean th- what I mean is there clearly is some Alzheimer's or dementia or something going on with, like, the king. He's not really... He he doesn't have his faculties anymore. Maybe. But, I mean, look at the, the son that he raised and look at the, the circumstances of the kingdom and everything, so...
1: Yeah, they do say uh, afflictions like those tend to calm you down and make you a bit nicer. So, the king could have not been so nice when he was young. Yeah, he could have been a real bastard.
0: I mean, Prince Humperdinck had to learn this from somewhere.
1: Right. Yes. So,
2: yeah, I think that... To to your point, I think you're making a strong
0: case. I think that they're all conniving and manipulative and um, all the evil characters Mm -hmm. and uh, strategic in their forms of thinking. So, I think that... I'm making the case here that they're just pure evil.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, they're not stupid. I don't think
0: they're stupid. No, no. definitely not. not. I mean... And they're uh... not misunderstood. They they are clear in what they want yes. to do. They have no uh, justification necessary.
2: Right. No. Uh, I was going to say you could argue forthright. that Viz- that Vizzini might be stupid. He thinks he's very smart. But he's just a pawn of... He's
0: not the true person right. in power who's it's manipulating anything. Yeah. He's
1: not stupid, though. Remember, when he was asked how smart he is, Vicini said, Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, morons. Right. Right. <laughs> That's a good yes. point. That's a, That was so, a strong... Uh, that
2: was he's a strong actually quite smart.
0: Yeah, but... So he is has well read enough to know about these people, but I don't think he's actually very smart.
1: No, I think he has wisdom as a drop... <laughs>
2: Probably,
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But I mean, you know, the other interesting thing about this movie is that I mean,
2: two thirds of the you know initial three antagonists become heroes in Fezzik and Inigo. Yeah,
0: so it's true.
2: But I, I think they have—they're
0: redeemed. they they have a redemption yeah, arc. They have
2: a redemption, which yes. is great. Which is fantastic. I, I mean, love it. I, Inigo actually is one of the most fully fleshed out characters in this whole movie. We get a, an extensive backstory for him. We get a uh, an incite- we have an inciting incident from his backstory. We have a like a, kind of a new inciting incident with him fighting um, Wesley. We have his fall from grace and we have his elevation and then this like this powerful fight. I mean in any other movie like this, an ego probably would have been the main character.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's true. And he
2: could have easily been the main Yeah, character of with this that movie.
0: backstory and that tragic backstory.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but to get back to evil, stupid or misunderstood, I mean I think you've made a very strong case that yeah, this is cold calculating precise evil. Not misunderstood. I, I don't think we could make a case that I mean, what what uh, Humperding is doing is clearly evil. He's trying to murder a, an innocent woman to start a war with a rival nation so that he can probably consolidate his power under probably the auspices of a legal uh, invasion.
0: He's not tortured about it at all. No. His main motivation is to start a war.
2: Yeah. he is. I, I'd say this character is probably intentionally flat in that regard.
1: Yeah. 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 He also wants to kill this innocent woman who is beloved by the people, and yeah, he really wanted someone that the people would really look up to and appreciate.
2: Right. It would make. It would only make his. And that's why he's making this strong case for her being so great. It yeah. it just makes it so that the people will be that much more bloodthirsty for Gilder.
3: Yeah. To, yeah.
2: To get revenge on Gilder. Both the villains, pure evil. Pure evil. Yep. Great, well, then it's time for ratings. As everyone knows, our rating system is a system of swords, with one sword being the worst pile of steaming garbage you could possibly imagine, and ten swords being the most glorious piece of cinema of all time. So, Chelsea, if you wouldn't mind starting off, you can give us an epic moment from the movie and your rating in swords.
0: I think an epic moment from the movie I'd like to bring up is when they're breaking into the castle and uh, they have Fezik Andre the Giant, wearing the Holocaust cloak in a wheelbarrow and they light him on fire and they do a mass intimidate check yes. against 60 guards. And then they threaten to tear the arms off of the uh, main guard Yellen and um, he's actually like the spy master and um he's before that he's telling him that he doesn't know where the gate key is and they threaten to take his arms off and he he just pulls out the keys like oh you mean this gate key <laughs> yeah. that, that's that's a great scene after this tense moment there's the uh joke and the payoff and release of tension it's perfect yes. there, there's a lot of that throughout the film so chef's kiss that's my epic moment i'm gonna give this movie an eight out of ten swords it was a, it's a great film it's an old favorite And it holds up to the test of time, I think.
1: Nice. Jack? Ten! Ten. Uh, uh, Anyway, my epic moment. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) Uh, uh, Let's see. Let's see. Yes. An epic moment from the film. I like the moment where Iniego is lost once again when he finds himself unemployed. He's drunkenly drinking outside the castle in the... local village.
2: As opposed to soberly drinking.
1: It's true. He's very drunk. He he has an alcohol problem that has been mentioned already. Very sad. And when he's getting kicked out by the brute squad Fezzik comes, he picks him up, he knocks out the dude harassing him, and he's dunking him in hot water and <laughs> cold water to sober him up. He's giving him warm soup, warm stew to nurse him back to health. He has a blanket around Inigo's shoulders. He's spoon feeding him. It's true friendship, and that that friendship is epic. Hey, listeners, friendship is epic. It's it really is the best. Yes, and that's why for Lo- Loki's sneezing, oh, all over Jack. Not because of the sneezing, but because of the love, the friendship, the you know the happy endings, the clever quips, and. Uh, I'm going to have to give it uh, 10 swords out of 10. It's not a flawless movie, but it it's golden, you know? Nice. Totally th- I, In my heart, I couldn't give it anything else. Are
2: these master-crafted
1: rapiers? It. Yes. Yes. Played by are. Inigo Montoya's father? Yes, exactly. Oh, that's hot. 10 perfectly balanced. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Jamie? What about me? So no, I mean, what are, what what's your rating and epic moment? Oh, I see.
2: Yeah. Who? Glad we cleared that up before I started talking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: so my epic moment has got to be the entire scene at Miracle Max's house. Yeah. It is so fucking funny. Yeah. Billy Crystal just slays in this. That's I mean, true. and and I can't. I, this has been like probably one of our most quotable movies. This is the first we've I was been quoting that the movie. The, we've been quoting the movie the whole time. So. You're all welcome, um, but I always say when people leave our house, "Have fun storming the castle." It's my yeah. favorite, one of my favorite, of my favorite lines. Um, it's so charming. <laughs> it's so filled with fun and adventure, um, friendship yeah. and love, and just everything is funny. Yeah, every line of dialogue is funny. It's it's just amazing that it's so sharp and so tight. Um, so I am going to give this movie. Nine swords and a short sword. Nice. The only lost points is I would have liked a few more stronger female characters. Um, you know, some more representation would be nice. But I mean, for the yeah. time period, for what it is, um, just for the uh, just the amazing content. Yeah, nine nine point five. Mm-hmm. Nine swords and a short sword. So nice. Um, well, on that note, since the dogs are baying for us, I think it's time for us to head to the bounty board.
1: Be the bounties on the bounty board today. Well, boss, today, today we have an
2: advertisement from. I guess it's a little weird to think of yourself as your own sponsor, but for those of you who, out there who don't already know, uh, in our day-to-day lives, Chelsea and I are often anthropologizing.
0: Yeah.
2: And we want you all to, <laughs> if you're if you're interested in anthropology or finding out more about anthropology, or if you're just wondering what the hell anthropology is you should head on over to YouTube and check out our channel, Anthroview. It's a new series that Chelsea and I are working on where we talk about anthropology through a pop culture lens.
0: Yeah, we talk about a variety of different topics, or we will be, it's a new channel, Um, from an anthropological point of view to kind of teach you about why that point of view is important and to hopefully provide more insights into all the things that permeate our daily lives
2: yeah and if uh you're interested we're currently doing a series on anthropology for tabletop game designers so head on over to youtube and go to anthroview that's a-n-t-h-r-o-v-i-e-w not bad not bad (laughs) so what quest do we have for people today folks
1: hey I've got a quest for you. Stop being so scared of bees. Unless you're allergic to them. You know, take a look at some images of cute bees online. Maybe, just maybe, you'll have a change of heart.
0: Same with spiders. Yeah. Uh,
1: no, Fair, fair. Uh, unless also, they're big.
0: Eat less salt.
1: Oh, good call.
2: Salt you can is... you
0: can become bloated and it can create a lot of other health problems. So yeah,
1: bring that salt to a halt.
2: Oh <laughs> yeah!
0: Hey,
1: damn! <laughs> Dare to keep
2: kids off salt. Yeah. And I'm gonna um, post the bounty to read a fantasy novel.
1: Yeah, oh, that's oh, good. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Any
2: you know any anything just for fun, just some for some funsies. Um, if you want a suggestion, how about? A Forgotten Realms novel. Because I've read a bunch of those, and I
1: like them. They're just fun. That's fun. Nice. That sounds nice and fun. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, now that the bounties
2: are out of the way, I think it's time to rewrite history. Yeah. Rewriting history is the segment of the show where we consider the movie we just watched, and then we talk about ideas for a sequel, a reboot, or a spin off. And I'm going to put a caveat in right now. I don't want to talk about a reboot because I'm afraid that somebody might do it. I don't want that to happen. You know,
0: I you know, think I get Disney that. Disney is considering doing a reboot.
2: Yeah, ah, run!
0: <laughs>
2: oh, Despacito, <laughs> kill it, kill it, you have to kill it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Disney wants to do a uh, live production, a play. Oh, oh, that could well, be pretty good,
2: actually. That's, okay, that's a different, okay.
0: I can see that.
2: I would be much more worried about them trying to recast and remake this movie.
1: Yes. You know? And I'm afraid to give them any ideas. I can't wait. But, oh, go yes. ahead. I would like to, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see Lin-Manuel Miranda's Princess Bride, <laughs> the musical. God damn it, Jack. <laughs> It'll happen.
2: So I want to propose a prequel.
1: Okay. Holy.
2: I want to explore. We don't get a lot of the history, or we don't get a lot of information about Florin. We don't know why they hate Gilder so much in this kingdom. We don't know much about this the, about the king prior to Prince Humperdinck. I would like to see a backstory hmm. for the Kingdom of Florin. Find out what kind of a terrible king...
1: The Last Bastard was. The Last
2: Bastard was. Um, Yeah, and you know, some of the other characters could still be in the movie. I mean, Buttercup and Wesley probably wouldn't be in it. But we might have, like... You know, like Fezzik, or well, no, he was off in Greenland. Um, you know, it, it could be tied. We could tie it in with Rugen's backstory and Inago's yeah. father. Yeah. yeah, we
0: can see the origins. We can see
2: Miracle yeah. Max and why oh, he get why he yeah. gets um oh, removed. But like, yeah, what he, he did, did say
0: he was screwed over by Humperdinck's father. Yeah, so we do know we he know was he's a bastard. a bastard. Oh my gosh! Uh, That's so crazy. I want to
2: see more of Prince Humperdinck. I yeah. mean, I'm sorry. Prince Edward. I want to see more of Miracle Max. I want to know what the miracle workers' jobs are like. You know, I yeah. want to get all this stuff. I want to delve into this backstory and really like build up the world. Get some yeah. good world building going. The yeah. original Dread Pirate Roberts could be yes, too. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. No, 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 the previous one. Pre- previous one. Remember the one that that Wesley? Well, we. I mean, maybe the original, but the one Wesley yeah, yeah. trained under also wasn't the original
1: Dread Yeah, list. and then true. the one before him wasn't the original either. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So Wesley is at least fourth generation Dread Pirate Roberts. If not yeah. farther. And then Yego is like the fifth generation yeah. Dread Pirate, at least.
0: At the end, Wesley like mentions that he wants to kind of sell him on the idea of now, taking over.
1: that could be a good sequel also. Yeah. No, well, that's that's, that's that's
2: dangerously close to reboot territory. Yeah, it's
0: true. <laughs> But, a
2: sequel it would be interesting seeing Anigo as the dread pirate Robert seeing if true love really works out for uh, Wesley and Duke yeah. up
0: <laughs> seeing what their relationship is like in year 5. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. perfect. Yeah. Once they've true lived love. in the
2: once they've like lived in a castle together for a while and they start to like kind of really get to know each other and see each other's foibles and Why flaws. Why would they be
0: living in a castle? She owns a farm.
2: Uh, I, I guess I just figured that that was kind of what the
1: narrative was leaning to.
2: Yeah, and she
0: can never go back home. Yeah, you remember how uh, <laughs>
1: Prince Humperdinck is still alive at the end of this yeah. movie? And how they're
0: all, like, criminals. Outlaws? Yeah, yeah, outlaws.
1: They're
2: oh. all pirates after this. Do you right? know what? It could be an awesome reverse chase movie
0: oh you know what though wesley's mm. super rich from his days of pirating and i think he plans to oh, run right. off with buttercup and like live on an island somewhere but that
2: doesn't mean that he's going to be totally able to like schluff off his entire old life Oh, or maybe
0: something will come back to haunt them
1: yeah yeah, yeah get the gang back together
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: okay oh, so yeah. We... inigo would be the one to bring them all back together because he's the on the pirate ship yeah yes. yeah Yeah, a
2: new movie where Inigo is the kind of the the prospective character. But, you know, going back and revisiting his old friends.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Could be
2: pretty neat.
0: Yeah.
2: I am into it for the most part. So long as there's not a reboot. Yes. No reboot. No reboot.
0: Also, some of the people have died, so. Like Andre. Oh,
2: well, yeah. Unfortunately, that's, yeah. Too soon, Chelsea.
0: Press F.
1: F to pay respects. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Well, on that note, I guess it's time for Can You Roleplay It? The part of the show where we talk about the characters of the film and what they would be in a role-playing game and also uh, some ideas for stories and uh, narratives that you can use for
1: your home role-playing campaigns. All right, get this. Wesley, uh, swashbuckler. Mind
0: blown. Wow.
2: Yeah. Wait, 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 hold on. I got I to got follow up. Anigo. Swashbuckler.
1: Whoa, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. <laughs> and then I guess we could have Fezzik as a strength monk. Oh yeah, I yeah, can see that. He He's an accurate boulders. thrower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's big. He's the biggest and toughest. A goliath. Around. Yeah. A goliath oh my monk. God, a Goliath monk. Nice.
2: Yeah. That's yeah.
1: pretty awesome, actually. Yeah. I,
0: unfortunately, They're
1: not a balanced party.
0: No, and I don't know if Buttercup. It is really a peach she's an
1: NPC fan. sadly yeah. uh yeah she's she was in Wesley's backstory, right. and the DM is like, oh, that's good drive for the campaign,
2: yeah, that's unfortunate,
1: yeah,
3: yeah, and
1: then you have to role play all the romance and stuff
3: <laughs> with your that characters. is even
1: more unfortunate, yeah yeah,
3: uh, really but good. I
2: do know now check it out now, this is a cool story though it, it in and of itself it's, it needs a little work, but a campaign or a story arc where your main party is being pursued by this master ranger and this torturer rogue who are just driven to hunt down the party, nice. and the party's trying to escape them. Yes. and like willing you know you you give them these crossroads where it's like do you go into the you know the dangerous forest where they're not gonna pursue or do you try to outpace them on on a safer uh, like highland path and, and somewhere where they can't like where their horses can't get
1: <gasps> and them? if he's a ranger then his preferred terrain could be more like, Open land. And his right? favorite enemy could be humanoids. Humans. Yes. Yes, exactly. Or whatever right. the party happens to be. Yes. Um,
2: but I do like the idea of a, of a, a story arc where um, the villain NPC is pursuing the party. Yeah. Yeah, that's great.
0: But rather than the other way around.
2: And then maybe you, you flip it where, you know, if the story arc goes this way, then it ends up that at the end, they have to, you know... Or if something goes where the NPC catches up with the party and takes something from them, then you have to go back to his keep and storm the keep. Yeah. Which is also a great uh, RPG
1: session. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. So there's some good stuff in this. Yeah, and they're crafty, too. As an unbalanced party, like you say, they have to come up with ideas, like the flaming holocaust cloak on a wheelbarrow. And... Uh, which, by the way, for the viewers, that's just like a fire retardant cloak. Yeah, this is yeah. a cloak that
2: seems to be able to catch fire without burning the person inside of
1: it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They have to come up with crafty plans like that. You know, they make acrobatics checks all over the place. You know, yeah. they, they have to they, use their wits. They have to go to a, presumably, a cleric for healing because they don't have a party yeah. healer. Right.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. This
2: could also be a fun solo campaign where um, you know one character goes through a series of trials against different types of foes and has to outfight and outthink them and, and eventually befriend them. Or maybe you have a great setup where the party comes together and you have uh, players role-playing these enemies like the physics and the Inigos, but then joining up with them yeah. uh, with, a, with a, another character as
1: they've um, built relationships. Yeah, I'm getting a big... Party vibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah Big cool. party energy. Yeah. And then they both worked, Fezzik and Niniego and, and both worked for the Sicilian. And he's their shared backstory, you know? Right. Vizini.
0: Nice. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Awesome.
1: Are there any other characters that, that we could stat out?
0: Um, if somebody wanted to play Miracle Max, he could be like a druid.
2: Maybe. Or oh, that could be good. Drew, yeah, he uses like a, a seed type of pill thing for healing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he lives out in the forest.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: Um, So you could just have it that there's a character like that that comes along. Yes. Helps out. Yeah.
1: Well,
2: everyone, thank you for listening. If you don't mind sidling over to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show... It would be greatly appreciated by us. It would really help us get the word out about our show. You can also follow us on Instagram at Swords and Satire or now on Twitch at Swords and Satire where you can watch us live play fantasy games, uh, underappreciated fantasy gems, uh, just like we watch every week for the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can listen to us on Spotify or iTunes. And uh, you know, do something nice for yourself too. Like yeah. enjoying a nice fantasy movie.
0: Yeah, and tell your friends about us.
2: Yeah, please do. But until next time, hail, hail chrome.